I, I was here at the church a few days ago, and some of the ladies come in and said, we're going to do a little bit of cleaning up. Well, sometimes a little cleaning up means you get a, you get a extra paper towel or two, and you just blot up some of the messes, you know, you left on the counter. Other times, there's we're going to do a little cleaning up, and you're going to bleach underneath the counter, under the sink. You're, you know what I'm saying? There's cleaning up, and then there's deep cleaning, I guess you would call it. There's, there's difference. And so uh, these ladies said, we're going to do a little cleaning up down here. I went downstairs, and uh, I thought I was in the wrong building. I didn't even recognize. I'm going to be calling them for six months going, where did this go? Where did that go? Because it looks like a completely different place. And then we got to moving some stuff back here. We got some storage behind the platform for some electronics things and some of the young ladies were putting stuff and we realized that half of the stuff back there doesn't even work and we began to throw things into toters and we got toters so heavily laden with all this junk that uh, I wasn't even sure if the, the truck that comes by and picks up our trash was even going to take this stuff. They were so full and so heavy. In fact, it was so full that they couldn't get everything in the toters. We had to wait for the toters to be emptied and then to put more stuff in those toters. And uh, just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Some of you right now saying, what's their names? Who are they? Because I want them to come to my house and I want them to do the same thing, right? Amen. I know who you are. That's it. We got a new fundraiser in the church right there. Why? Because we, we accumulate stuff. We are a nation of first world problems. There's perhaps no other country in the world that literally pays big money. I'm not talking about little. I got some friends that's getting rich right now. Because they, they have these facilities that you pay to keep your stuff that you're never going to use. Right? And we don't want to get rid of it because we might use it someday. So we will stick it in a room that's not even on our property that we don't go to until, guess what? We have more stuff we need to put in there and we just leave it and we pay someone to leave it in their spot. And, uh, and, 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 and I understand, I understand. My father once called me a slimy slug. He told me, son, you leave a trail everywhere you go. But if I was the slimy slug, he was a hoarder. When he passed, there was his stuff all over this church. Some of you sitting out here today, you had stuff in your garages, and you're like, what do we do with this stuff? I'm like, by now it's probably worth something. Sell it. Make some money. Get some money for holding it for that Man, all these years, and, and why? Because, you know, we, we, we might use it again, or, you know, we, and, and, and so it is that we tend to accumulate. We have things that build up over time, and, uh, and, and we hold on to things. I, I listened to a podcast some time back, and the guy was asking us, why are we saving it? Who are we saving it for? And most of us, we want to pass it on to our children. He said, why don't you ask them if you want this stuff? Most of them are going to tell you, you know, when you pass, I'll have to pull in a service. We'll throw it away. And, and, and you don't save it for me, really, you know. But this is what we do. This is, this is how we are. And so every once in a while, every once in a while, it gets in the way. It gets in the way. And, and because the pain of working around it, some of you already feel condemned and convicted and you're wanting the altar call right now. 
Pastor, you don't have to say any more. Just open the altars and here I come. <laughs> and, and, but, but it gets in the way. And, and I like what, what one person said. Change only happens when the pain of things staying the way they are is worse than the pain of change. You know? And at some point, it just becomes such a frustration to work around all the clutter that we decide it is worth the effort of getting rid of things. And so we, we do. And then some of us, we get in that pitch mode. Now, in most households, there are those who like to keep and, and, and like to add. And then there are those who enjoy throwing away. And I'm one of those who enjoy throwing things away. When I was a child, I decided I was going to get rid of some things for mother, and I cleaned out the refrigerator. And you can probably, you already know where this is going. And so <laughs> when they went to cook dinner for two or three days, where did this go? Well, I know we had some of this, and little John John had already thrown it away. And then my mother had some dried fruit. Now, you can go to Walmart now, Kroger, and you can pick up dried fruit, and, and it's there, and you can ship stuff around the world. If you need something from Asia in here tomorrow, you can get it airmailed and, and, and shipped overnight, and it's easy to do that. But, but, but 30, 40, 50 years ago, some of these fruits and some of these exotic foods were difficult to get a hold of, and apparently my mother had some dried fruits that to her was precious, and it was very expensive and hard to find. John John didn't know that, and, and, and I looked at it, and I said, that stuff is nasty, and it's old, and it's done dried up, and it's done went bad, and I threw the whole lot of it away thinking that I was doing my mother a wonderful favor, and little did I know that I threw her treasure trove of dried fruit away. And so I did hear about that. I heard that, you know, to stay out of the kitchen. My wife still tells me, please don't just, don't just start throwing stuff away. But, but uh, so, so we, we have those people within our houses. Some of us like to cling to things and others like to toss stuff out. There was not perhaps a better day than when, when they began to throw those things out. And then uh, we, we got a wonderful donation uh, flooring for the kitchen and put the word out. We need some help getting stuff out of here. And so, again, begin to throw things away and clear things out, clear clutter, clutter out. And there's nothing that does my heart much better than to see, you know, you can see the bottom again. Of, you can see the floor again. You can see in the corners again. And, and, and you find things that you knew you had that just got buried. And, oh, there it is. And, you know, you've bought three of them since then, but now you find the original one that you never could find. Why, why I say this? Because it's not just in physical things that we accumulate. But all of us in this house today, if we were to do an inventory in our lives, we would find that there are things that we have held on to that we don't even know are there. The Bible says we don't even know our own heart. We don't know our own heart. There are things, there are wounds, there are hurts, there are feelings that we have felt that, that maybe didn't get repented of, that didn't get dealt with, that didn't get handled, uh, that might be decades old. And, and just because it's been forgotten by us doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. Because everything that has been accumulated in our heart, in our mind, and in our life, it sets a tone. It creates a filter by which all things 
go through. We cannot live unaffected by the things that we allow to accumulate. I'm going to say it to you here today. We will not live unaffected. You can go on, pretend it's not there, act as if it never happened, but you cannot live unaffected by the things that we allow to accumulate. Amen. Unforgiven sins. Sins that have not been dealt with. Just because you got by with it doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. Conversations, things that were said, things that were done. Just because you've learned how to walk around it doesn't mean it does not affect you. Things that should have been done that didn't get done. Just because nobody's saying anything about it anymore and you feel like, well, it's just that's behind me doesn't mean that it does not mean to be dealt with because these things that are accumulated, these things that have been built up over time, and the problem is there are things that are at the bottom of the pile that other things have added on until we don't even remember them. We don't even remember that they're still there, but because they are there, even if we don't see them regularly, even if we don't even know they're there any longer, they're still a part of the filtration system of which everything in our life goes through. And let me just be honest, many of us here have been born again of water and of spirit. And the Bible says we are new creatures in Christ, yet we still act and behave like the old us. Why? I propose to you today, it's not that there's not power in the blood. It's not because there's not power in the Holy Ghost, but I propose it may have to do with things that have been undealt with and, and have not been uh, remedied, amen, that at some point in time we just need to go back and clean some stuff out. Is this all right? Let me talk to you about a fellow in the Old Testament who did this very thing. The Bible tells us that the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, there were good kings and there were bad kings. And uh, usually there was <laughs> no particular order to that succession. You could have a good king, a bad king, a good king. You could have a good king and then another good king. You could have two or three bad kings back and forth. But it does seem that sometimes it just kind of went up and down. And such as it was when Hezekiah come in. There was a succession of good and bad before him, but we find that Hezekiah does something that is significant. Now, let me just talk about Hezekiah for a moment. The Bible would liken him to King David. Most, uh, most closely associate him with David. David is kind of the utopia of kingship over Israel, and yet in some ways we will find that Hezekiah is so much like David that he's almost like David plus. And so what an incredible accolade to say about him. And we understand this when we look a little bit at what happened. We, we see that there's the coronation celebration. There's that which now we have a new king. There has been the anointing. There's been the crowning. And uh, the people have come together. There's celebration and there's feasting. And, and almost while this party is still happening, Hezekiah slips out from the crowd and he goes over to the center of the city of Jerusalem and he sees the temple. The magnificent edifice, the temple. And yet, 
The temple has fallen into disrepair. It is that place of glory that has lost its luster. It is that building you drive by and you wonder, will anybody ever fix that up again? It's that building that you see and you wonder if these walls could only talk because you can see the luster of a former beauty, but yet neglect and disrepair has caused there to be a shadow and a dinginess come to it. And such as it was that the house of God had literally become a storage place within itself. It was a place that not only contained the things of God, but every other monarch before had allowed it to become a place of accumulation. They put the gods that they served and the things that pertain to their gods in there. It had become stacked up with junk to the point that its doors had become sealed and would literally have to be pried open. And we're talking about a magnificent edifice here. So we're not talking about someone just kind of key carding a garage door and slipping in and looking around in the dusty corners and cobwebs. But we're talking about these doors stretched for tens of feet. And yet they had to be pried open. And here Hezekiah is pressing himself through this little slice and sliver of the doorway that they could get. And he's walking through the house of God. And he sees disrepair, and his heart is broken. And so the first thing he does in his kingdom, first thing, he's not setting up a cabinet of people of which they can get things done. He is not directing a new order of government and leadership. But he begins to call back the Levites. He calls them by the names of which David was used. And he is calling them back to worship and he prays. He is calling them by the names that Moses would have used. And he is calling them back to their purpose in the house of God. And he is restoring unto them purpose. Why? Because the stewards of the house of God, those who are to be taking care of the house of God, have scattered. They're working in the fields. They're doing all the things they were never supposed to do because the house of God has been in disuse. They were not needed, and so they found other things to occupy themselves. And Hezekiah calls the troops back, and he says, Hey, we're going to get back to using the house of God the way it was meant. So he brings back all the men that were to be working in the house of God and he tells themselves to get ready. And so as they do, then they begin to work on the house itself. And the Bible tells us that they started in the inner chambers of the house. Now, the temple, like the tabernacle, is set up with an outer part and an inner part. The inner part, once you went into it, that was the holy place. Only certain people, select people, could go in at certain times. It was not a place of public ingress and egress, but it was a place that was extremely limited, and it was very small. And yet it had been abused, it had been misused, it was cluttered, and it was full. Outside of that inner sanctum is the outer part that was larger and much more vast, but it was open to the public and, and it was more commonly used by the everyday man. And so they started in the inward part and they worked their way 
outward. I want you to understand it took them eight days to clean out that small inner sanctum because it had become so defiled and affected that it required the same amount even as the larger outside courts that would dwarf the inner part. This, this is a very telling portion of this occurrence and what happens. It was not enough to say this is small and an insignificant part and so therefore we can just rush in, clean it out and take care of it. There were no windows in this part. There was no natural light in this part but even though it was small and, he, and, and, and because it was dark you could not ignore the corners and, and the recesses and the innermost places of this inner sanctum because if you didn't get the inner part clean, if you didn't get that center part right then all of the outer part would never matter and so they spent the same amount of time getting the inside right as they did the outside even though the inside was what much smaller because it much more matters that the inside is clean, amen, than the outside. And, and both of them needed to be cleansed, but the inward part was so much more important. So it was that they, they began to work their way from the inside out. And as things are pushed out and as they're broomed out and as they're cleaned out, and, and, and what do we do with this? Kind of as we have been around the church for a while, somebody had to go through and see what was what, what needed to stay and what needed to go. There were things that would be polished and they would be repositioned. There would be things that would be cleaned and they would be replaced and there would be things that needed to be wiped off and purified and they would be reestablished in their place in the house of God. But there would be other things that they would look at and say that was never meant to be here. That never should have been here in the first place. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to toss it. We're going to throw it out. We're going to let it go. What, where, where do we let it go? Where do we take it? This is the walled city of Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem of which we are talking. And so as they began to push these accumulations outward, from the inner court they would take them out, and from the outer court they would take it out to the porch. And finally there's this collection. It's all been cleansed. It's all been purified, and the gold and the brass and the silver, they're sparkling once again. There's no dingy corner. There's not one spot in this magnificent edifice that has not been thoroughly cleansed and purified. But what do we do with the junk? What do we do with the piles? What do we do with this stuff? And we find that there was something interesting about this for the Bible says they threw this trash into the brook Kidron. They didn't have trucks would come by and, 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 and load this up. They didn't have dumpsters to throw it in did an interesting thing. They threw it into the brook Kidron. So not the first time this brook, this stream, had been used as a dump. We find that King Asa had destroyed his mother's idols, and he buried them there in the brook Kidron. Queen Athaliah, who was an evil, evil person, she was executed there. And King Josiah, when he got rid of the idols that had been built up in Israel, he took them there, he burned them, and he beat them to dust in this place called Kidron. 
Why is it used? Jeremiah 31 and 40 says in the brook Kidron, it shall be holy unto the Lord. In this brook Kidron, it shall be holy unto the Lord. The word Kidron itself tells us it's gloomy, it's dark, it is not beautiful. We are not talking about some spectacular oasis here. We are not talking about some beautiful stream you'd want to build a house next to, but it was a craggy and a rocky stream. It was a stream that would flow from this mountaintop place 20 miles, and it would go down into the sea. But as it ran across the east side of the city of Jerusalem, it would go by the temple that was being cleansed out. It would also course its way near Golgotha, which would be the hill or the place where Christ would be crucified. From Golgotha, it would go by the Mount of Olives. It would go through Bethany and then onward into the sea. These 20 miles, it would plunge. But there is something about it that we understand knowing the topography of the land that in these 20 miles that this stream would fall 4,000 feet in elevation. That is an incredible drop. Some of you have no doubt seen the social media shorts and reels where uh, kayakers and those who uh, deal with extreme sports, they are bouncing down waterways that the water is never still, but it cascades from one rock to the other, from one drop unto the next, and such as it was with Kidron. This is a mountain stream. It would not always flow like this, but when it did, it would be violent in its way. If you have ever spent any time on the water, even in the calmest of water, you must take measures and care to what you have tethered or tied to your possession or being because if something's not tied down, you go in the water, you might lose whatever you have with you. I have seen people lose valuable possessions to the water. And even in seemingly still water, there's the current that will pull it away and take it from you. You will never recover it again. But in a place like this, where it's white water the entire way down. If you lose something in the brook Kidron, you can kiss it goodbye because you're never going to get it back again. Is that not an incredible thing to say that anything that would have been dumped into it would have been taken clearly to the sea? And so as it was, the Bible tells us in the book of Micah chapter 7 verse 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in his mercy. He will turn again and he will have compassion upon us and he will subdue our iniquities. I want you to hear because there is somebody today that is looking at the things with which you struggle and you wonder what is the answer and the solution to the things of which I struggle with. He will subdue your iniquities. We do not have the power to overcome. We do not have the power to subdue the things that work against 
fixed, our spirit and our soul. But the Bible tells us that we have this promise, that God himself will subdue our iniquities. Amen. He will subdue our iniquities, the Bible says, and he will cast their sins into the depths of the sea. This passage here in this scripture is a perfect picture of what we are talking about in this story when Hezekiah and the men went through the temple and they got everything out that did not belong and they needed a place to throw it away. They threw it into the Kidron because it's tumbling waters that would pour and rush and cascade would cast them into the sea. You're not going to find it back. You're not going to get it back. You're not going to find it anymore. Amen. And there were things in that building and there were things that were being cleared cleansed out and purified that had no place coming back, that did not need to come back in. Amen. I don't want to be guilty of getting rid of my sin only when it's convenient, but bookmarking it and hiding it somewhere that when I'm no longer convicted and when I'm no longer bothered by it and when it no longer uh, weighs heavy on my spirit, when I've gotten over that moment of conviction, I can go back to where I left it and bring it right back into my life, but there are some things, there are some thoughts, there are some ways, there are some attitudes, and there are some hurts, and there are some things in my spirit that I need to be carried away, that I can't retrieve them, that I can't pull them back, that I can't get them back in my life, that I can't put them back upon the shelf, but it's been taken, it's gone, it can't be found, it is ridded. Not only can the accuser not find it, not Not only can the devil not put it against me, but I can't go find it and put it back and bring it back and and, and look for it and say, you know what, I kind of miss those things because they've been washed away. They've been cleansed away. I love what the writer of the old song says. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. Its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. And when sin and and sadness whisper, you sin, there's no use to pray. I look away to Jesus and he tells me to say, I see a crimson stream of blood. I wish somebody right now would just begin to worship the Lord and thank God that we have a solution and an answer and there's an antidote, amen, for those things with which we are struggling. You don't have to deal with them on your own, but if you're willing to say, God, I want to let go of this. I don't want this to have a hold in my life. I'm going to begin to clean, amen, the inside out, the inside out. I'm going to get rid of some things in my life. Let me tell you, there are habits and practices that we do in the flesh, amen, that have roots in the spirit. There are things that we we battle the symptom, and God wants to deal with the source. We, We struggle with the symptom. God wants to work at the source. I'm just going to be honest. Because of the nature of modest living, godly living, biblical living, how you look, what you say, where you go is sometimes the most obvious things that people see about your Christianity. You don't look like everybody else. You don't act like everybody else. 
You don't go where everybody else goes. You don't do what everybody else does. But can I tell you that it is not okay to clean up the outside and ignore the inside. You will find that God always works from the inside out. Well, Brother Reading, what about this that I see? And what about that that I see? I'm asking you to look inside the heart and let God do a work on the inside because of the most of the outside stuff will take care of themselves when the inside gets right. And I'm much more concerned with how is your heart, how are your thoughts, how are your feelings, how is your spirit, how are you on the inside. I don't need a tape measure to measure how you are on the outside. If we can get the inside right, the outside is going to take care care of itself. The outside matters. Yes, it does. It matters that we look as the Bible says we should look and we do as the Bible says we should do. But what matters even more, are we doing it for the right reason? Because you can do the right thing, but do it for the wrong reason and it's just as wrong as if you did it or not did it all along. And so I'm telling you, we start with the inside and sometimes God's doing work works on the inside that nobody beside you can see. That's why we are not to judge one another. We are not to look at each other. And we are certainly not to compare each other and the progress that the other is making. But we celebrate the fact. Come on. Keep on keeping on. Keep yourself at the altar. Keep yourself on your knees in prayer. Keep yourself in the Word of God. Because if you'll work on the inside and let Jesus work in your heart everything else is going to be taken care of and we celebrate each other I've seen corrupt people look good and I've seen amazing people that aren't cleaned up yet so I refuse to measure anybody on what someone is or is not doing but my question is how's the heart and that's why we need God to work for. The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it? I don't even know my own heart. So I need the Holy Ghost to do a work in me. I need the Word of God to do a work in me. I need God to challenge me and my attitudes and show me. Lord, shine the light of heaven on my soul, one song says. If you find anything that should not be, take it out. Strengthen me. I want to be right. I want to be saved and I want to be whole. Do not lean under your own understanding. You can just Justify any sinful behavior that you want to cling to and keep on. You know, I, I just can't help myself. That's just what, and, 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 but it's not about justification and self-justifying, but it is about surrender and submission to God. Lord, I can't do this in myself. You said you would take this from my life. So I'm trusting you to do a work on the inside. Another song we used to sing says, Jesus on the inside. Working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. The greatest outward change is always produced by an inward change. There are those who have what in science we call physical changes. Physical change is when you take a substance and you just simply change its environment and it adapts to the environment. There are people who have come to church and they only adapt to the conditions that they're in. That's why when they're around the church, they look and act like the church, but when they're not, and as long as they're in a good environment, they're affected by the environment. 
there's another change in science called a chemical change. And the chemical change is when you make a different molecular compound from that which you started with. And it doesn't matter if you put it in hot or cold. You can put H2O in a freezer and it'll turn to ice. But you put it in a pan and heat it up, it'll turn to steam. And you can have it in multiple forms and it just depends on what it's around. There are people that serve God that way. They are what they are around. But there are others who have been changed, who have been changed, who have been changed. A molecular change happens when you change that compound into something it's never been before and you can't take it back to whatever it was. It doesn't matter. You can put it in a freezer. You can put it in the oven. It ain't going to change because it's not a situational change that's happened, but it's a it's a permanent change. And I, I believe that that's what the blood of Jesus does to us when it's applied. We cannot go back to what we were. Amen. The way we once were when the blood of Jesus is applied unto our life. So I want to stay near the cross. I want to stay where the blood is flowing. And I want to be in that place where my sins can be and will be washed away. Amen. And so the Bible says that they took it from the inside, they started on the inside, and they did deal with the outside. Notice that even though the outside is vastly larger, it took the same amount of time to clean out that little room inside as it did the outside. And, I, and I've already alluded to it, because once the inside has been taken care of, the outside is much easier. Things just fall away. Things that you thought you would never do or never not do. But when you get the inside right, it's so much easier to lay things down. You don't have to have it pulled from your hands. You don't have to have it plucked from your fingers. You don't fight to keep something that's unhealthy because when your heart's right, you want to be right with God and it's easy to lay wrong down. So they took it to the creek. They took it to this brook and they threw it in the Kidron and the Kidron took it away. Where did it go? Where is it? It's flushed into the sea, and it's in the bottom thereof. You'll never find it. It has been, it's dissipated. It's gone. And the Bible tells us that he has done that with us, and he has taken it from us. Hebrews 8 and 12 says, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I and even I, that blotteth out transgressions for thine own sake, will not remember thy sins. As we stand all over this house, we have a beautiful promise of God. That is, he knows how to take care of the things that don't belong. But you and I have got to come to the place. And I took several minutes at the beginning of this message, and rather humorously or tried to be, but just to relate it to our lives. You get tired of stumbling over stuff. You get tired of tripping over. You get tired of Buying things. I've, I've got a particular tool in my garage. i got five of them. You know why? Because every time I went to get one, I couldn't find it. And then after a little bit of time, I'd find the original one. And now I found the second one and then the first one. Now i got one, two, three, four, and five. If you need one, I can loan it to you. You can have it because i got plenty. But you come to a point I'm tired of stumbling over that thing in the dark. I'm tired of looking for it and I can't find it. I need some order. David said, Lord, order my life. Bring order into the chaos of my life. Order my steps in your word. Pastor, how do I get from 
how do I get to that place where I'm not living based on, you know, was anybody watching what I'm doing? Can anybody see what I'm doing in secret? Does anybody know what I'm doing behind the scenes? How do I get to that place where I live right because I want to live right? Are you tired of stumbling over that junk in the dark? Are you tired of needing peace, but you can't find it? Are you tired of wanting joy, but it's nowhere to be found? You've had it, but we lost it. Why? Because of the clutter and the mess and the chaos of our lives. I propose to you, just as we've done around this building and in this house, and, and perhaps it seems like I've talked to others, everybody's kind of in a state of, you know what, it's time to clean some things up just as we have to do in our natural life, we have to do in our spiritual life. I was reminded this week of Psalm 51 that we went through earlier this year. Create be a clean heart, restore, renew, wash, cleanse, purify. I want to be right. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me, Lord. Why? I'm tired of this mess. I'm tired of this mess. I want to be washed. I want to be cleansed. And aren't you thankful today? There is a stream that flows by this house where you are that we can cast our sins into which they'll be carried away. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for, your, for the flow that makes things white as snow.